Hey there, it's Martine. So on our show, we have brought you a lot of coverage of the midterm elections, the primary races, the people running to be your elected officials, the big themes and issues that American voters really care about right now. Today, we're looking at another big aspect of our elections. Who is funding them? It's something our politics producer, Arjun Singh, has been thinking about for months. Who exactly are the major players financing the candidates? Arjun is taking over the show today, and he's going to bring you the story of one of the biggest political spenders in the midterms so far, tech billionaire Peter Thiel. I don't agree with everything Donald Trump has said and done, and I don't think the millions of other people voting for him do either. Nobody thinks his comments about women were acceptable. I agree they were clearly offensive and inappropriate. But I don't think the voters pull the lever in order to endorse a candidate's flaws. In 2016, billionaire Peter Thiel stunned a lot of people when he entered into Republican politics for the first time. And his candidate of choice was Donald Trump. It's not a lack of judgment that leads Americans to vote for Trump. We're voting for Trump because we judge the leadership of our country to have failed. This was notable because Thiel had made most of his money funding tech companies like Facebook in Silicon Valley, which sits in the heart of San Francisco's liberal suburbs. It's also my hometown, a place I had always grown up knowing as a Democratic stronghold. But now, Peter Thiel has become this fixture in Republican politics. And as of right now in the midterms, two of the Senate candidates he's backed are on the rise. In Ohio, there's J.D. Vance. Do we want a Republican Party that stands for the donors who write checks to the Club for Growth, or do we want a Republican Party for the people right here in Ohio? Ladies and gentlemen. And in Arizona, there's Blake Masters, who just won his primary this month. And you know what? They're loud. You hear so much from these people because they're the ones who control newspapers and television and schools and universities. You better believe they control big tech, too. These two candidates are hardline conservatives and they're major critics of big tech. But Peter Thiel is still giving a lot of his money to these guys. He's throwing an enormous amount of money. I mean, for one donor to give $10 million is like really unheard of. This is Liza Dwoskin. She's a Silicon Valley correspondent for The Post, and she's been following Thiel's influence on Republican politics. And it completely changed the game. You know, it gave them a massive financial edge compared to their competitors. So who is Peter Thiel? And why is a Silicon Valley tycoon spending millions to send candidates to Washington who want to tear down an industry he helped revolutionize? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Arjun Singh, in for Martine Powers. It's Thursday, August 11th. Today, I talk with Liza about the rise of Peter Thiel and how he went from Facebook investor to right-wing financier. Definitely Peter Thiel was one of the first people I heard about when I got here. One, because he was considered this outlier libertarian in a place that was still considered liberal. And, um, and I, I believe basically that uh, individual freedom is, is very important. Um, 
and that we live in a world uh, in the 21st century where there will either be a lot more or a lot less. And, that- and always like representing this strain in Silicon Valley of what at the time was more libertarianism than conservatism. And that was more anti-government. I, one of the questions I always like to ask is why is a cause unpopular? I, I don't want to give money to popular causes. I feel those are well enough funded. I think it's the unpopular causes that deserve to get more. The other thing you would hear about Peter Thiel is that Peter Thiel had funded Palantir. And when I moved out here, Palantir was one of the companies I covered because I covered big data. And, you know, they were getting all these contracts to work with the government and at one point had some role or have said they've had some role in the tracking of Osama bin Laden. Something like Palantir is the key to to stopping major terrorist attacks. I don't think we're going to do it by projecting military force throughout the world. I think uh, we will do it by sort of very cleverly uh, uncovering um, uncovering these conspiracies before they, they come together. So you saw this streak among companies that had this connection to Peter Thiel that were willing to work with the government and even the national security apparatus of the government, which is also something a lot of people in Silicon Valley were skeptical of. And doesn't necessarily seem to jive with Peter Thiel as a libertarian when the companies he's actually invested in are like very involved with the government, in fact. So outside of Palantir, we also know that Peter Thiel sits on the board of Facebook. He's one of Silicon Valley's biggest venture capitalists, and that's made he's made a massive imprint there. But where does Blake Masters kind of fit into that? So he has a personal foundation called the Thiel Foundation. One of the candidates that is running for Senate that he's given the most money to, Blake Masters, is the head of the foundation, uh, or was. You knew that Biden-Harris was going to be bad. But I'll be honest, I'm shocked at how quickly they've been able to deliver all this chaos and destruction. But here's the thing. If we're suffering this badly after not even two years of Biden-Harris, imagine how bad things would be if we were right now in year six of a Hillary Clinton regime. One of the programs that the foundation runs is called the Teal Fellowship. And that is basically a fellowship that will pay people who want to drop out of college or not go to college to support an entrepreneurial idea. Again, it wasn't so clear at the time that he was going to be so anti-government because, again, Palantir, his biggest company, is their main business is seeking government contracts with national security in a post-9-11 world. So I think one thing you learn, the more you learn about Peter Thiel, is he's a man of walking contradictions. I, I believe you can be both a, a libertarian and, uh, and, and work with the government or even work for the government or work in the government. Uh, and uh, and even, even if you believe that there should be a much smaller, much less intrusive government, you can still try to work to make it function better. He's an immigrant who's given the most money to some very hardcore anti-immigrant candidates like Chris Kobach. He is a gay man who some of the candidates he supported have also been on at least what progressives think are the wrong side of LGBTQ rights issues. He is a libertarian who has invested in a lot of companies that work with the government and is more of a nationalist. So he has a lot of interesting contradictions. And then he's also the person who likely advised Facebook to try to become so powerful that it virtually 
became a monopoly or close to it in certain areas and then became very worried about monopolies in the tech industry and big tech and thought that there was too much consolidation of power. So I kind of want to take a little bit of a step back because it doesn't sound like Teal developed this ideology recently. So can you give me a little bit of a sense? I mean, like, where did this kind of come from? I know he was the first CEO and co-founder of PayPal, but what would you say is the start of Peter Thiel, you know, getting involved more with these right wing issues? I mean, the story of him, his family immigrated from Germany and he moved to Northern California when he was really young. People always cite, you know, he went to Stanford and basically a lot of his network comes from that late 90s, early 2000s cohort that was at Stanford. And with Peter Thiel, there was this competition in the online payment space, and he worked with Elon Musk, actually. That was where he got his initial wealth, was from PayPal. You know, it's interesting with PayPal because here's somebody who wanted originally with PayPal. It's not what PayPal became, but some of the vision around PayPal was actually to create an alternative financial system rather than just what we see it today as digital banking or online banking. So there are some interesting parallels to cryptocurrency and libertarian ideas of let's get out of the traditional financial system. Let's get out of the government regulated system. So after PayPal, he has a lot of money. He's part of this PayPal mafia, as you had described it. And I think the next notable thing that we know that Teal did was he became an investor to Facebook, one of their early ones, and was kind of this mentor to Mark Zuckerberg. What was he like at Facebook? Like, what do you know about the way that he was on the board? Was he a, you know, vocal board member or was he kind of someone who sat in the background? No, he was the opposite of a quiet board member. He was actually considered always the most influential board member and the one who would give advice to Mark Zuckerberg that no one else was willing to tell him or they didn't want to hear. Peter Thiel, you know, in the book Zero to One, he articulates his philosophy about running companies. And one of them is he says CEOs should sort of run their companies like monarchies and should strive to charge monopoly rents. So essentially to consolidate enormous power. Um, a good monopoly is one that actually has invented something new. So when Apple came up with the, uh, with the iPhone, um, it was the first smartphone that worked. And so it for many years had a monopoly. So if you just look at that as like an ethos, you see that Mark Zuckerberg, as a CEO, has consolidated enormous power on the Facebook board. He's basically unfireable because of the way that the controlling shares in the board are organized. And people say, well, that was part of Peter Thiel's influence. Yeah, right. yeah you, but I mean, he was it. massively influential on my thinking, right? I mean, I, like a lot of the, uh, the early lessons that I took on how to think about strategy came from Peter and Sean. And... And then in my own reporting, what I found is that after he wrote his book and he traveled to China, he actually became very anti-China. He even called Google the treasonous company. Well, I would, I would say, uh, answer my three questions. You know, how many foreign intelligence agencies have infiltrated Google? Has the Chinese, have the Chinese in particular infiltrated? And, um, and why, are you, uh, why are you working with communist China, not the U.S.? What, what is the you know, he's a China hawk. He believes that the U.S. could lose the arms race of technology against China and that China is stealing our technology. And so what's really interesting is like, you know, Teal always was on the board of Facebook out there criticizing China, while Mark Zuckerberg, Zuck is obsessed with China as his mentor, advisor and board members out there criticizing China. He just wants to get in. And all of a sudden you see that around when Teal is really stepping up his criticism, 
Facebook does an about face, and it starts with these comments by Zuckerberg at a hearing where he starts making comments that are very similar to Peter Thiel. I think it's well documented that the Chinese government steals technology from American companies. And Facebook has turned that into a major strategy. You know, they've even funded like third party proxy groups to push those anti-China ideas, put the pieces together and say, wow, did he have an influence there as well? One thing that I think a lot about when it comes to Facebook getting involved in politics was the position Facebook kind of had on fact checking and free speech. And I know that there was a little bit of a tussle inside of the company between, you know, the limits of free speech and what to do when it came to people like Donald Trump. Was Peter Thiel ever involved in any of those conversations or did he have an influence in how Facebook ended up handling issues like fact checking politicians? What we know is, you know, Facebook in 2019 really went out there publicly and said, we're not going to fact check political ads in the 2020 campaign. In fact, that had always been their policy not to fact check political advertising. But they went out in a big speech and made a point of saying it, and it caused a big firestorm within the company, big controversy, because you're like, we're going to just let politicians lie. And the company already does fact checking. And they were saying, we're not going to extend that fact checking to speech, not only ads, but also to speech by politicians. So Max Chafkin, Teal's biographer, writes that Teal had a role in that decision. I don't know that specifically from my reporting, but what I did hear is that the decision about whether to fact check speech by politicians and political ads, that decision went all the way up to the board. And people at the time at Facebook thought that that was really unusual. Why did it go to the board? Why, was, why were the board members weighing in on this policy decision that should be like done by the policy experts? And so who was the most influential board member was Peter. And he certainly had a very strong opinion about it. After the break, we talk with Liza about Teal's rise among the Republican elite and why it didn't really surprise her. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Okay, so, but, like, when does Teal kind of become more entrenched with right-wing politics and Republican Party politics? Like, where would you say that that kind of started? Okay, so this is where a lot of my reporting journey took me. And the most interesting thing there that I learned is Peter Teal has close relationships with, and has in many cases funded, the most vocal attackers of big tech in the GOP. The people who consider that some of their biggest planks, they all have really close relationships with Peter Thiel. 
He becomes very friendly with Matt Gates, who's one of the from Florida, who's one of the biggest critics of big tech. Congress will never take on big tech because Congress is totally bought off by big tech. And when they don't buy off senators and representatives. He also was a big funder for a long time of Josh Hawley, another elite law graduate who not only when he was in the Senate, but also when he was attorney general. Oh, in Missouri. He launched the first antitrust case against Google. That really started the trend. And you're looking at it and you're saying, wow, Peter Thiel is one of his donors and clearly an influential one. And then very shortly after Thiel's donating, Holly brings this lawsuit against Google on antitrust issues that later that kind of suit became the plank of the broader Republican Party and was a precedent to the Trump administration bringing lawsuits against the whole tech industry on antitrust issues. So, Liza, I mean, everything that you've described to me throughout this conversation, you know, it does sound like Peter Thiel's Republican leanings or his right wing ideology. It isn't new. It wasn't necessarily formed out of his time in Silicon Valley. But at the same time, I, I do wonder, is this the end game for Peter Thiel? Like, is this what he wants to be? Is this his final form as this? Republican financier? Or is there more to it? Like, what does Teal himself want to do? And what is the role he sees either in tech or in politics or in some combination of the two? So to me, this is one of the most interesting parts about Peter Thiel's ambitions. He's been written about as, quote unquote, this Republican kingmaker who at one time was tied as like the second largest GOP donor in this cycle. That's because he's given 10 million, more than 10 million apiece now to his two chosen candidates, Blake Masters and J.D. Vance, both of whom are people who go way back with him. J.D. Vance used to work for him. Blake Masters still works for him at the Teal Foundation. So those candidates, as people have described it to me, are like extensions of Peter. Now we'll see if they win or lose and what that says. But what we do see, and I wrote this in the story, is that some of Vance's punchlines against big tech were the lines that drew the most applause among GOP primary voters. You're right. Look, at the end of the day, it's not about misinformation. It's not about public health or anything else. It's about controlling the narrative because the Democrats know that if they have to face us in an honest debate, they're going to lose. So they try to control the narrative. They try to control the facts and they use their big tech allies to do exactly that. One of the things I learned is that Peter Thiel has pretty much soured on the big lie if he ever believed it himself. So here he is out there. He's supported about 16 candidates in this race. But many of those candidates are people who are out there saying and have been saying that Biden was not legitimately elected. I think fair-minded people look at all the irregularities. And, you know, before certifying the election, yeah, you got to make sure that it was all legit. So I think they were asking for some time, and that was what they objected to. And I think that was a, a fine thing to do. If you were elected to the- you know, there's this kind of hypocrisy, like he doesn't think that it's the biggest issue or he doesn't care. If anything, he probably thinks that the ship has sailed in the Republican Party on that big lie. I also learned that, you know, he's unsure and maybe less likely to support Trump in 2024. So he's looking more broadly, I think, at a new right that's emerging post-Trump. And one of the last pieces around that kind of new right post-Trump is that I think for Peter Thiel, you know, he's been portrayed as this political kingmaker. But even though he's put a lot of money in 
he doesn't want to be or aspire to be like one of these mega donors like the Koch brothers. And if you look at what he's doing is he also is trying to invest in companies that my own term for it is companies that inflame the culture wars. You know, he gave a small amount of money to this conservative dating app that was founded by a Trump administration ally. And then he recently invested in Strive Asset Management, which is this new asset management firm that basically its kind of mission is to fight woke politics on corporate boards. And their particular thing that they're against is ESG, environmental social governance. So basically that means when companies adopt like climate change proposals, for example, like we're gonna reduce our emissions, that's ESG. He's still in a way the culture warrior of his Stanford days, just with way more money and power and influence. But you also see that his interests are not at all limited to politics. You know, he funded a a film festival as well. So he's really kind of seeding individuals that in some ways seek to change the culture and push it in more of a libertarian right direction. But there's also an element of things he's unsure of. There's this kind of hesitation that often doesn't get captured uh, when people think of him as like trying to go out there and control the world. There's also kind of a hesitation about where to put the next chess piece on the board. Liza Dwoskin is a Silicon Valley correspondent for The Post. If you want to read more about Liza's reporting on Peter Thiel, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. I'm Arjun Singh, and I produced this episode. Martine Powers will be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.